0: morning, everybody. So glad you're here. Glad to see the kids uh, coloring, coloring, however you want to say it, on their worksheets that they're working on. Uh, We are starting a new sermon series today entitled "Multiply, Multiply is Greater Than Division. I wrote a Few things here to lead us into the series and help us to understand a few things and give us a clear understanding. Blaming God for human failure is not fair to His divine nature. It is without doubt that the God of heaven we serve is for certain a jealous God, but not in a negative light. He always, and I repeat, always both historically, presently, and futuristically, standing unequivocally on the side of justice. His words in Scripture need to be carefully studied to find the truth that is teaching. Cherry-picking and building a doctrinal position without a holistic Bible view will most likely lead us into opposition to God's point of view. The sermon series' intent is to help us to understand the casualties of war in the Bible. Our Heavenly Father is a God of peace, but from time to time has to deal with humanity's failures and has to choose the side of his peace through the act of war. To hide from this fact and put our heads in the sand is not reality. We have to put our trust in him and stay in the center of his will. So this will not be an easy sermon series for us to hear, but hopefully we glean some truth and understanding to Scripture as a whole. And just like always when I write these sermon series down, it's always... At the end of the year, usually in November and December, I figure out my uh, preaching plan for the next year and put these uh, sermons on a timeline, on a calendar, and pin them down, and it should not be surprising to us. The more and more I've done this since a long time ago, since I first been to Bethesda, I can take you all the way back through 2012 and forward in uh, preparing sermons this way, and it never ceases to amaze me how God timingly puts things in order because he knows the future before we ever ever even get there, amen? So in the midst of the situation that we're finding ourselves in, in the current events, world events, I think we all can say in this place that we are seeing firsthand in real time that there is casualties of war, the kind of casualties are, they should hurt our heart when we see like a few weeks ago that upon our exodus, exodus of Afghanistan that we saw those American soldiers fall. Just trying to get out of the country. To see those flag-draped caskets coming off of planes. and Family and loved ones anguishing in their heart the loss of their loved one is almost unbearable. And any God-fearing Christian should pray for them and lift them up and ask God to give them peace and understanding, even in those troublesome times. Discussing war is not easy in a topic in a church, but hopefully and prayerfully as we look through these things that we will come to those conclusions that we see that war is not acted on behalf of God. That it's not God's destruction of earth or humans, but it, uh, it is our human failures as individuals, as citizens, as nations, as empires, as kingdoms that bring about these battles. Everybody say it's not God's fault. I need you to really say that and believe that war is not. God's fault. Everybody say that with me. War is not God's fault. I cannot put the blame on him for humanity's failures. He gave humans a choice in the Garden of Eden, whether they wanted to serve him and stay with him or do what they wanted to do. And the war and the destruction of all of humanity and every sickness, pain, everything is from the evil one that deceived Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. There was no thorns. There was no thistles. There was no toil of man. There was no work. Everybody say, that sounds good. (laughs) Amen. None of that was in place in the Garden of Eden. But once humans in Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, It brought about a destructive force upon this planet that God did not intend, and it is not God's fault. Some people may say, well, it's God's fault that he gave us free will. Why didn't he just make us robots? If he just wanted robots, he would have made a robot. He didn't make a robot in his image. He made us humans in his image. So as we look through these messages, I want us to understand that war is not God's fault first and foremost, and we need to approach this sermon series from that point of view because we cannot skate the ideal that there is war listed all throughout Scripture. If you read your Bible, you're going to read accounts of war. You're going to see battles and different things. But we can't read it from a point of view thinking that the war began and was instituted by God and it's his fault. There's only one who wishes to divide. And that is Lucifer. That is the enemy of your soul. God is not a God of division but a God of multiplication. So multiplying is always going to be greater than division. So I'm going to go through four different battles through Scripture just to paint a picture, and there's a lot more than this, and we chose these four just to give us some viewpoints and some things uh, from a holistic view of the Bible is my approach. So hopefully and prayerfully these four different battles that we look at will give us insight into the holistic view of war from God's point of view. So the first one we're going to talk about today is the battle that Abram faced when his nephew Lot was taken captive. And how that Abram cherished his nephew, he loved his nephew, but there are multiple times That we will see throughout this story of Abram, God's divine intervention, God's hand at work, and God's will for his children to be blessed. The word war is mentioned in the King James Bible 220 times, so there's a lot of accounts that we can take on a message about war, but hopefully in four parts we'll be able to see as I said a minute ago, these from a different perspective. It was just mentioned last night to me from my dear brother that there's a difference in the Old Testament and the New Testament in regards to violence. And I worked with a guy a few years ago. He would often say this. He said, you know, I'm more of the Old Testament view of God. I I see battles. I see violence. I see war. I see God taking vengeance. But I believe from the front page of this to the back page of this, Old Testament and New Testament, that destruction is still well on its way of humanity that the enemy didn't give up when Jesus resurrected from the dead and said, okay, it's finished, I've not got any more work to do, I'm just going to let it all be now. The devil is still at work dividing and bringing anguish upon God's people. And to say that we can't see that or understand that would be a disregard to even the New Testament that we see. Because how can, can we say that, there is no destruction or is no vengeance or is no battles or is no strife or division in the New Testament where we see Stephen being stoned to death in the book of Acts in the very beginning of the church. The enemy is still out to kill, steal, and destroy. And if we don't look at the Bible in that viewpoint, we're missing it in its entirety. But I love this verse because it's a verse that I hear people mention a lot of times when they're talking about how that we as Christians come to these viewpoints and they take this verse, I believe somewhat out of context, but I want to read it to us. And this is our verse that I want you to go to, to pin down, mark in your Bible, look through this, figure this out on your own, but listen to some messages about some insight to it. Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. Matthew is the first gospel in your New Testament, chapter 11, verse 12. This is Jesus speaking. How many believes Jesus has got something to say? Amen? If he's speaking, we better be listening. Jesus is speaking here. Jesus loved John the Baptist. It was his cousin. When Mary came into Elizabeth's sight, we know the story in the beginning of the gospel, how the, the baby with it, leaped within their womb, just because he was in close proximity. John the Baptist was in close proximity, even though they were both in their mother's womb, two very important people in history. But Matthew chapter 11 verse 12, here Jesus is talking about John the Baptist, and it said, "And from the days of John the Baptist until now, or I say now." Until now. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Maybe this verse isn't speaking to you, and you're thinking, Well, I'm just a peace, kind, caring, loving. I'm just like the total perfect picture that all the world could just model their self after me, and because in my past there was no destruction. I've never done anybody wrong. I'm going to leave the world a perfect picture because I've never had a fault or a failure. And I've never hurt anybody's feelings. I'm a picture of perfection because Jesus made me perfect just so the rest of the world could see because he didn't do a good enough job himself. Hopefully, prayerfully, nobody in here believes that. Or nobody watching online, I hope you don't believe that as well. Because each and every one of us, when we begin to think about that, we can think back through our past and come to a point and a conclusion in our mind that we know that we've done somebody wrong. That's a country music song, right? So Jesus is saying here, yes, the kingdom of God has suffered violence, but the violent take it by force. So is he telling us and instructing us as Christians to go be violent and be destructive, and and telling us, go fight the battle for me because I can't fight it myself. See, there's a lot of people who take that verse, and they'll take it to mean that, that God, through Jesus, is telling us to be a violent people as Christians. And Jesus had some of these people in his just. Dis- group of 12 disciples that had this ideology ideology of their mindset and their philosophy was that Jesus is setting up a kingdom on this earth, and my job is to take the earth by force. We're going to be in a war shortly, and these 12 disciples had this mindset. Some of them, one of them was called the zealot, Simon the zealot. That means was a zealous person who actually was part of a A uh, insurgency or a a group of people that thought as Jews that when the Messiah would come that he would be labeled as king and put a crown on his head and would take the earth by force. Now I don't know about you, but the God I serve is not a God that takes people by force. He's a God painted through the Old Testament picture all the way from the beginning in Genesis that he gives people a choice to make whether you're going to choose to serve him or not. He will not force you to serve him. So in saying that, Jesus is not instructing us to be violent in our Christianity or violent in our nature as a Christian, as a child of God. Now, I'm not saying not to serve in the military, because some people would take it to be that, that, well, he's saying that we can't be violent, so I can't, as a Christian, go in battle. I think there's a place for chaplains in the, in the, on the war fields. You go back and study history itself, and I assure you that there's baptisms happened. There's people saved. There's people that are in their, taking their last breaths on this earth that have died in battle, that there's a chaplain there that's comforting them during their time, of their last few moments on this earth. There is a place for us as Christians to follow God's will for our life, and not everybody is called to the same calling. But in this same verse in Matthew chapter 11 here, verse 12, he's telling us that the kingdom of God suffers violence, but the violent take it by force. But then if you skip a few verses and get down, you can read all that. I'm not telling you not to read all that, but for time's sake, I'm just going to read these last verses of that because I want you to see that there is a point of view different if we take Bible in its holistic view versus partial view. If you just read this verse here in verse 12, you're going to come to a conclusion, but you need to take the whole chapter into account. You need to take the whole book into account. You need to take the whole Bible into account. And in theology, when you study theology, they tell you in studying the Bible, there's a book in here How to Study the Bible, that I took in my Bible training classes. And they say, let Scripture interpret Scripture. And what they mean by saying that is, whenever you let Scripture interpret Scripture, you can't just take a verse like that and put my opinion on it. you got to let the rest of Scripture dictate what that scripture or that text is saying. you got to let the whole Bible tell you what is this talking about. So if we go down to verse 28, so you're verse 12, we read verse 28. Let's skip down to there. Come unto me, Jesus is still talking here. Come unto me, all you that labor and that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And just like anything in life, when you look at it from our perspective or with our opinions on it, we're going to lean to one side or the other. So in this very same chapter, Jesus is talking about The kingdom of God suffering violence and the violent taking it by force. And then he's also talking about the side that I am meek. I'm mild. I'm not destructive. And he's painting this picture. So we have to decide which side am I on? Am I going to take violence or am I going to take this meek side? And we think it's like I have to choose one or the other. And I talked about this Wednesday night. Sometimes people will take Jesus' grace and they'll just lean all towards grace. Or they'll take his truth and lean all towards truth. But John chapter 1 says that Jesus is full of grace and truth. He can be both. Amen? So Jesus here in this very same text is talking about the kingdom of heaven suffered violence and also that I'll give you rest for your souls. How many knows violence isn't very restful? Come on, somebody. Have you ever been through some violence where that maybe you're going through a storm that we just come out of this sermon series about storms and we've seen all these things, and we know whenever there's violent times upon our life that it seems like the enemy is destroying us from the outside in and from the inside out, and we don't know which way to go. Amen. It's hard to be in those situations. But the Bible tells us that the peace of God that passes all understanding can rest upon our lives. And I believe we need to pray in those violent moments of our life for the peace of God, the understanding of God. God, help me to see the lesson I'm being taught through this situation that I'm facing, whether it's people hating you or you in your heart becoming angry towards other people and hating other people. God, help me to see the lesson I need to learn. So Jesus is painting a picture here in Matthew chapter 11. For his disciples, his twelve disciples that's listening to him, he's telling him, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and I'm sure he's got an amen over here from Simon the Zealot. woo Yeah, sounds good to me. Let's go take them, Jesus. Set up your kingdom. I'm ready. <laughs> amen. Then Jesus over here, well, I'm so meek and mild, and coming to me, all you heavy laden, and I'll give you rest for your souls. I see there's a few disciples over there. Whew, that sounds good to me. I'd rather just be meek, and I'm sure you that's not Peter over here. (laughs) He's the guy that cut the guy's ear off the day or two before Jesus got killed. There's a difference in the disciples of God, the very 12 disciples that he chose. But let's go back to our story that I want us to learn about here in this week one, in the story in Genesis, and you need to read this for yourself, I... We, we can't take the time to do this, but the story is in your Bible for a reason. It's for you to read and study and understand. So it's Genesis chapter 11 through 19. That's a lot of chapters. It's eight chapters, but you got a week to go read this. You should be able to get through at least eight chapters in a week. And I'm not going to say that you're going to be an expert on them and you're going to be a theologian. You're going to be able to describe every one of them uh, uh, chapters in great detail, but understand the story. Hopefully maybe as I'm talking about this story that you will have uh, read it before and some of it brings some things back to remembrance. So Genesis chapter 11 through 19 is this story of Abram. Ur of the Chaldeans and he had been born in Ur of the Chaldeans. And God called Abram to divide, separate. He told him, separate from your people. Leave your kindred And go to a land I'll show you. And I'll make of you a great nation. So God told him to divide from his family. And I'm not telling everybody in here or everybody online to divide from your family and be uh, harmful to your family. But that's what God called Abram to do. Leave where you're at and go to where I tell you to go. And Abram had a decision to make. Am I going to leave and go where God's called me to go and do what he's called me to do? Or am I going to stay here and do my own thing? So I think it's this way for us that we can understand it from that perspective, that as God calls me to do something, I need to do it because it's his will, not mine. As Christians, our will goes out the window the day we kneel at an altar or pray on a lawnmower and say, Jesus, come in my heart. And the second he comes in our heart, he should give us a new mind, a new heart, a new understanding, a new way of looking at things. So that's the point that Abram is at here. And Abram decides, I'm going to follow God. And you need to understand, he didn't have a Bible. He didn't have the written word of God to go by. This story in Genesis is acting out in real time, and it had not been written yet. Moses writes later the book of Genesis, hundreds of years later after Abram. So the only thing Abram had to go off of was the voice of God ringing in his mind and in his heart, Leading him by the voice of God. There was no Bible to go to. Sometimes you don't have your Bible with you. Amen. It's it's good to have it with you, but sometimes you're going to get to a place in your life or a situation in your life and you can't even bring a a verse back to remembrance and you're, you're trying to sit here and ponder through these things, this situation you're facing. And you don't have the word of God with you. Maybe you left your cell phone in the car. The voice of God is still speaking today. He speaks through the Holy Spirit that will comfort you, that will guide you. And Jesus even said in Matthew, he will bring all things to remembrance that I've told you. The Holy Spirit is our guide in this life. I'm not telling you not to read your Bible. I'm not telling you not to have your Bible. But I'm telling you, if you don't have your Bible, you still got a God that is present with you in your time of trouble. And his voice will ring true. And he won't tell you anything in person that is not written in here. He will cause this word to come to life in your life. Light in your life. So this story, if Abram being called to divide from his people and go multiply. Everybody say, I'm tired of dividing. I want to multiply. Amen. As Christians, I'm tired of churches dividing. Amen. I'm I'm tired of churches splitting. I'm tired of churches coming up with doctrinal statements that divide people and split people apart. I'm ready for the church to be like in the book of Acts where it says that God added to the church daily as many as were being saved. And later on, it even says that he multiplied them greatly. I'm ready for the multiplication of God and God's church that brings about a revival of people coming to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our intent and our purpose as a church. Our sole purpose should be that not that just we should learn more and we should be uh, leave church on Sundays with our feeling a little bit better about ourselves. We should leave out of here inspired to go say, wow, I need somebody else to hear what God is saying so that their life can be built up the way mine's being built up, and I cherish even my enemies to come to the knowledge of Jesus. But Abram here in this situation has to decide, what am I going to do? He's still got a choice just like you've got a choice. Adam and Eve had a choice. Abram had a choice. You've got a choice. Most scholars believe that Abram was born in Ur, which it says in Scripture in Genesis, but on today's map, that place would be Iraq, modern-day Iraq. So the great, 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 great. I don't know how many greats, but a lot of greats. Abram, Father Abraham, you know, you heard about in children's church at some point in your life. I'm one of them, and so are you. The song, right? Father Abraham, it's Jesus' great, 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 great. Grandpa. So basically you can say today that Jesus was an Iraqi.
1: Ooh, 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 ooh.
0: but God blesses only Israel. Really? Then we sit and pray, God bless the United States of America. What if he was born in Iraq today? Couldn't you pray, God bless Iraq? What if he was born in the middle of Kabul, Afghanistan? Could you not pray today, God bless Afghanistan? What if you're a Russian born up there in the uppermost parts and you're up there in in Siberia and and, and all that? And Can you imagine being born in all this frigid, frigid temperatures and all that? Couldn't you stand up there on that soil and say, God bless Russia? You see, our mindset is manipulated by our experiences. And we as Americans have to be super careful in thinking that God is only for us. Are you with me? Do you hate me? You're looking at me like you do. What if God blesses Russia? What if God blesses China? Can we say, God, it's your fault? I don't think so. And a lot of times people will use Scripture against itself Because they'll find and cherry-pick those verses that we talked about earlier. To think that God only desires to bless a certain group of people. When in the New Testament it says in Peter that it's not his will that any perish, but that all come to repentance. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, the world, amen, not America, not just Lewis County, not just garrison. You know, you can bring yourself all the way down to the dry hauler deer slayer, home of the dry hauler deer slayer, say God just blesses the dry hauler bunch. Amen. We're so guilty of that, ain't we? We're tribal. It's just the way we are as nature, in our human nature that we do that. We take ourselves down to me and my way or the highway, buddy. Get on out. God don't intend that. He loved the world. So as this happens, that God is telling Abram to go, and you need to understand that Jesus... Ancestry comes from Iraq. How many of you have ever thought of that? Will we let Jesus be an Iraqi? (laughs) Oh, heaven forbid, how can we say that? Because the Bible does. If we truly study scripture, we'll understand that. And I don't know, maybe they miss it. Maybe the scholars today are missing it. Maybe Jesus and Abram, maybe when he was born, maybe he was born, it don't say that he was born in Ur, but he was from Ur. Maybe he got born over in Afghanistan. I don't know. Maybe it's from China. Who knows? We don't need to put our slant on this scripture to make it say what we want it to say. We have to look at it from God's perspective. And this truth will set us free. He tells us to know the truth and it will make you free. Scripture is inspiring when we look at it and learn from it. So, as Abram, there is, and later he travels to a southern region, and, and lives there for a while when he's called by God, and most think that's in modern-day Turkey. So he had, he had been in Iraq, we think, and most scholars, and then eventually he moves over into Turkey, and then God calls him, go into the land, I'll show you, and he leaves his family. So he leaves from Turkey and heads down towards the promised land. Everybody say, I want a promised land. Amen. I'd like to go where God Blesses me and causes even my enemies to be at peace with me. Amen. I want to go to that land. Amen. That's what he promised Abram. Go down here. I'm going to make your seed greater than the sands of the sea. This will be like God telling me that. But Abram's 75 years old and he's hearing the voice of God telling him, Go, I'm going to make a mighty nation of you. He has no kids. I don't have any kids. So it's hard for us to see sometimes what God is saying because we don't see the future. All we see is our current. And where we mess up in our Christianity is when we don't allow God to speak into our lives because He can see our future from our current, from our past. So when He tells you to move, move. When He tells you to go, go. When He tells you to do, just do it. So Abram takes off on this journey. and next thing you know, his nephew's like, I like old Uncle Abram. He's pretty awesome. I ain't staying here with Dad. Abram, I want to go with you. God didn't tell Abram to take Lot, but Lot said, Uncle Abram, I want to go with you. Then you have you got an uncle that you're proud of, that you're proud when you're talking about him, you, you call him Uncle, Uncle Charlie, Uncle Mike, Uncle whoever? I hope you do. I hope you love your family. But Abram apparently had impacted Lot's life so that Lot Lot wanted to be with Uncle Abram. Uncle Abram's going on a trip, vacation, think I'll go too. So Lot joins with him and takes off on this journey. And they head down into this promised land that God is promising and as they get to this certain region, it's flourishing. I mean, there is great beauty, and it's just, in the nation of Israel, you can go over there, and there's choices in, in Israel. You can look over there because there are certain places that are desert, and there are certain places that are flourishing, and all kind of shrubbery and just uh, fields, and just, it's a beautiful place. So when they get down there, they're walking around, and, and they're, they're, they're together, and you know, one big family? Everybody say, I love family until we divide, <laughs> amen, but they get down there, and they're out there, and all their herdsmen are together, so Lot's guys are over here, and Abram's guys are over here, and they got these big, uh, whole, whole group of people with them that's just cherishing them, and loving life, and next thing you know, they're down there, and one day, there, it says that there's a fight breaks out between Lot's herdsmen, and Abram's herdsmen. Look your neighbor. Look over your neighbor. And say, I've never fought with my family. Just, we 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 are just a picture perfect family. Husband and wife, uncle and nephew, niece and aunt, grandma and granddaughter. Amen. It's perfect. We don't fight like that. You're right. That's what Sky used to say all the time. Every time you say something to him, he's about that tall little nephew. Uh, Sky, you're right. Try to tell him something true. You're right. <laughs> no, I'm serious. It's like you're right. That's <laughs> all the words he knew. I think you're right. So, Lot and them, they're down there, and, and, and their herdsmen begin to fight. And don't you think this breaks both their heart when their when their people that they're in charge of begins to fight and bicker amongst herself. If you're on a job site and you're leading a job site, Dennis, and you see two of your good employees, maybe it's the laborers fighting the carpenters or the carpenters fighting the bullmakers, the bullmakers, you know, it's all these different crafts, right? Because job sites are not very peaceful, amen? It's hard to work together, amen? Anybody ever been around? It's hard. No matter what occupation you're in, it'll be the janitors against the floor workers. It, it could be anything. The enemy wants us to fight and bicker and complain and moan and groan. So in the midst of this battle and this fight, you know, Abram, he's the older guy. And now he knows with age comes wisdom, or it should. Amen. The older we are, the wiser we should get. i done some pretty dumb things when I was young. Amen. I was a hoodlum. But the older I get, hopefully I get better. Hopefully I I learn more self-control of God, especially after my Christianity. I should become a lot better at that point. Amen. Not perfected but a lot better. So this happens, and the Abram's there, and he's the older guy, so he he looks and he tells Lot, he says, i tell you what, old Lot, nephew Lot, I know God has called us down here, and I know God has promised to bless me exceedingly abundantly above all I ask or think. So he tells Lot, he said, I'll give you the choice. We're going to divide here. Your people's going to take your side, and my people's going to take my side. We're going to split ways here, but I'm still going to love you either way. He tells Lot, he said, you choose, you want this valley or do you want that one? And Lot is standing there looking at him, and the Bible says that he looked, and one was flourishing, and Lot said, I'll take that green side of the hill. How many knows you need some grass when you're out there with some sheep? And You got these animals, and you got all these things to do. You need some water, amen? A drought don't look very appetizing. So Lot chooses the things of this world, because in our sight as humans, we look at the good and think, man, that's the good. But in human form, what looks good sometimes may not be good. Amen? So Lot chooses a good side, and Abram said, adios, sucker. I'm heading over here in the desert. If God be for me, who can be against me? Amen? So as he takes off over another the other side, next thing you know, Abram's over here. God begins to bless him anyway. God's blessings on Abram, he, his herds begin to flourish, and even in the midst of bad situations, God is still at work. Even in the midst of violence, when there's trouble in the family, God is still at work. So Abram's down here in the midst of this side of the valley doing what he's called to do, make a new nation. Lot's over here taking advantage of all the world's goods. He ends up in Sodom and Gomorrah. We know the story. Read through it, right? Right? But Lot's over here, and one day as he's living on this side of the valley, he's out here on a lone branch by himself. And it says these other kingdoms around him was at war, and they was pillaging. They would run through these regions of of Israel, and they would take captive these groups of people. And these kings had merged together and formed an alliance that went after these little bitty pockets of people. And next thing you know, Lot is out there in this big green shrubbery, And that's what all the things of this world that the worldly people want. So what he had chose was actually his doom, his demise. These kings come down, they capture Lot, all of his people, and they take his wives, they take his kids, they take everybody in and they make them prisoners of war. And they carry them away. That sounds lonely, doesn't it? Your wife is a prisoner of war. Your possessions are pillage to your enemy. And the word gets back to Abram that Lot had been taken. He's still my nephew. Yes, we had some differences of opinion, and I let him choose, but he's still my nephew. And the Bible says that Abram contacted some of his people that he had come in contact with and there's 300 and some of them that he knew people in his region over there in the desert and it says they joined forces and went together and they went and chased down this army that had captured his nephew an army of people and 300 men come into contact and they looked at night and God gave them the insight and they went down and went into battle with them at night and they captured that whole entire army and all that they had taken and they beat them in war 300 versus thousands doesn't sound very fair. But everybody say, if God be for me, who can be against me? The things of this world as people look and say, well, look at that little bitty church down there dreaming dreams that they're going to be bigger, that they're going to do things for God. Look at them. Who do they think they are? It's not me. It's God. What's his will? Is it his will that 11,000 people in Lewis County are unsaved today? I don't think that's his will. So why do we do things like back to the church Sunday? Why do we do things like uh, outreaches and, 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 and youth group live and, and, and 9-11 dinners and, and big Easter events? And why do we do that as the bridge? Because we love people because God told us to. Why do we go to places that say, you know, the people they, they don't want us to go there? Because God wants us to. We have to try our best to see God's word provided to people that have never heard. So, Lot, can you imagine suffering violence in your life and being a prisoner of war and seeing your liberators come into battle and carry you away, free man? Going from prisoner to free is an amazing sight. I studied a lot about my grandpa that I never met, he died in 1973, but my mom's dad, he was a prisoner of war for three and a half years during World War II. It was the largest surrender in American history. He was in the battle. Okay, I don't even wanna say the term that they use in church, the battle that they call it. But he was in that battle, and they turned herself over. Over 10,000 American soldiers in an instant raised their hand, threw down their guns, become captive by the Japanese Army. Little did they know, they would spend three and a half years in camps, in prison. They worked him in copper mines as a prisoner thank God he got out But the two battles that liberated them we know as atomic warfare and I've studied enough about this and the point where he was at in Japan he got captured in Philippines on the Philippine Island but they later took him to Japan on a boat as a prisoner and he was about equal distance from Hiroshima and Nagasaki. It was about equal distance to both of those bombs where he was at in a prison camp. And even after those bombs dropped, they had no idea. I studied it in the history books. He had no idea what was going on. All he knew was, I've been in prison so long, I don't even remember what freedom tasted like or smelled like and the Japanese army begins to send out these messages that we are going to bow out of this battle we're tired of fighting this war and we're going to surrender as Japan to the American forces and the people leading those camps the soldiers that were in those camps that were holding them prisoner took days to find out that the battle had already been lost And when they found out, they began to walk away. Can you imagine yourself sitting in a prison camp, barbed-wired, unbelievable conditions? You've seen images, and if you haven't, go back and study them, because there's images of these guys, these American prisoners of war that had been three and a half years in prison of war. A lot of them weighed 90, 80 pounds. Full-size men, Skin and bones was all that was left. But liberty came. And those guards began to walk off from their posts because their superiors told them, leave the camp. And next thing you know, American flames begin to fly over. Can you imagine that feeling of liberty? Can you sense with me just for a minute what that would feel like going from prisoner to free and knowing you're liberated? Eventually the American army got there and they took them up and they put them back on boats and took them to hospitals and began to deal with these American soldiers that had been prisoners of war. And they saw the freedom and they tasted it again freedom tastes good so as we're talking about war here I hope and pray that we that are setting in our freedom do not take it for granted the people that have fought all the wars before especially in American history and American culture brought us freedom That God intends for me to live in. It's His will that you be free. Jesus said, He who the Son sets free is free indeed. How free are you in this place today? Are you as free as Lot was by his uncle? Even in the midst of war, freedom came. Jesus wants to set you free in this place today, free from your thoughts free from your opinions, free from past struggles with family. He wants to set you free in this place, free from sin, free from doubt, free from fear, free from unbelief. Freedom means free. So as we bow our heads and close our eyes in this place today, Taking up for the right side is more important than taking up for my side. Maybe you're facing an unbearable situation right now, and it's kind of like it looked like for Abram. I can imagine as he walked upon that side and seen Lot captured down there in that valley and thousands and thousands of soldiers, and he had 300 men with him. He, I'm sure doubt tried to flood in his heart to say, Abram, you're not going to be able to do this. The enemy was trying to tell him, I'm sure you... You cannot fight this battle, but when God told him to go and how to accomplish it, and he and his army of 300 fought off thousands and won, God and his divine intervention won. I want everybody in this place just to pray in your heart and pray in your spirit and ask God, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today through this message? And He don't have to speak to every one of us the same because we're not all in the same situations. He's speaking to you about what he wants to deal with you about. Let's sing that in the mic. So just think about it if your eyes closed right now. Think about God wanting to set you free in this place. How many can say amen that, that there's nobody can do for me what God can? Amen. So in the midst of your situation, as you're making decision today, how you're going to walk out of this place and what you're going to accomplish in life, keep that understanding in mind that God's desire for you is not destruction, but is for building you up. He is not trying to tear you down. He's not trying to cause your demise. His intent for you is to live a blessed life and wherever you're at and whatever you're facing and knowing he is with you and that is enough. Let's go build and not destroy as a church. Amen. Multiplication is greater than destruction. God, I pray for your people. God, I pray for our army of the United States. God, that you would be with them. God, I pray for all the soldiers that we have, Lord, as their occupation, Lord, as Uncle Sam has called them up and asked them to serve. And God, I thank you for all of our our soldiers and all those that are putting their life on the line for our freedom. God, I pray that you would bless their families. God, I pray that you would bless their spouses. God, I pray that you would just bless their parents. And for all those that are uh, having pain and issues in their heart about them, being deployed in these things that's going on that we're facing in this world. God, help us to see your will in our life. Help us to have an understanding like you have. God, I pray that you would help the people of the bridge to overcome and not fail. God, that you would help us to multiply and not divide. God, that you would help us to build up and not tear down. Lord, that our words, we would choose wisely. And God, that you would give us words to say in the midst of situations where the enemy of our souls tried to bring violence upon our bodies, upon our health, upon our families. God, I pray your will be accomplished in our life and help us to view what we're facing from your viewpoint, and that is our future. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, Amen.